Absolutely. I've hit record here, so are we ready to go? I just want to say thank you so much for subscribing to the CS2 Busy Show. I really appreciate your time. And also a big shout out to our partners at Betway who power the CS2 Busy Show. Check out betway.co.za for more information. Raymond's given us the all clear. Um, Mark Hume, I'm a big fan. I, I must say, like, you've got an incredible story. I've watched you. I think you're a gamer. I think you're a killer when you're in, in the sport of MMA, but you're also a fantastic human being, the bit that I've got to know you now. And it's so cool having you on the show. Thanks for making the trip all the way from CIT in Pretoria. Thank you for having me. It was quite the drive. I got flipped off once. But really? I, <laughs> not even my fault, really, but people are a bit tense. think they need some training in their life. Everyone can just relax after that. But thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be here, and I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit of my life with you. Mark, you mentioned people flipping you off as you came in, you know, across the Borivore's curtain, as they say, into Joburg. But um, if they knew who you were, do you think they would still flip you the bird? Yeah, I think we... Or what we you need do to for draw, a living. Yeah, we need to draw the line. Like, I've, I've realized in life, people like shouting at each other. Coach, our coach, Mornefes, has a story in China where he was out with his mates and he saw one of them shouting at another guy, you know, like in each other's face, shouting, shouting, and coach just ran up and he clocked the guy because it's a fight if you want to fight where does the line cross from i'm shouting at you i'm angry at you i'm going to call you names to now we're going to throw first yeah and i think not a lot of people actually know about that line so for them the flip flipping the bird or swearing at you or they don't understand who's sitting in the car going I love you. <laughs> Enjoy your day. I'll see you a different time. But I think the scary thing about road rage is how quickly it spirals out of control. Obviously, you are trained in violence. Um, and I mean that because you're a professional mixed martial arts athlete. You're an EFC welterweight champion. You're a future UFC star. Yes. Yeah. Um, but people tend to forget because I think in South Africa at the moment, everyone is on a knife's edge and throw in all the socioeconomic factors, the load shedding, all these things. It's just pent up frustration. Um, and it, it's something I've always asked professional athletes yeah. in MMA and boxing. You guys are not the ones looking for the fights. You guys are the ones who are first to try and defuse the situation because you know what you are capable of when called upon to action. Nine times out of ten, like, you don't want to get involved because, yes, we can fight, but you don't know if that guy's packing. You don't know if he's got a knife. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's always going to be a hindrance to our career. Like, you get outside, you slap someone. Next thing you know, the, someone's talking about it on a podcast or the news gets all of it, which is it's not ideal. We don't live in the Wild West anymore yeah. where you can't just get out and beat someone. But... In saying that, everyone has a line, everyone has that day. So me coming here, I'm I'm in a cheerful mood. I'm excited to chat to you. you just I run up on this person session. a bit faster, <laughs> like, you know, a bit quick, and they, yeah. they get agitated. Yeah. They may be a bit insecure about themselves, and they flip me off. But, yeah. it, you know, like, I'm, I, I don't read into it. I, I gave them the little flicker, thank you, and I moved on with my life. But sometimes you do catch a person True. on the wrong time or at the wrong day. And then it can get a little bit emotional, maybe a little bit physical as well. But 
there's ways of dealing with it without cracking someone's skull. Yeah. But in saying all the tension in the country, it is amazing for me to see the hype that we came back with after the victories with Cameron and Drickers. Everyone, like everyone is messaging, hey, why is, Cam, uh, why is Dricky out of the fight? Well done on this, well done on that. <laughs> and it's truly amazing to see a country actually backing backing our boys, you know, like South Africans aren't very famous for wishing each other well, for yeah. letting each other savor the victories. But I feel with this, everyone is stepping up behind the boys and really supporting Drickers and Cameron, which is, it's a nice perspective. It's a nice thing to see coming back. I think you also deserve credit, my friend, because you were part of these training camps. Yes, you trained with them every single day at CIT, but you were brought along specifically to be a punching bag 100%. for Trickus and for Cameron. Um, but we'll get into the, the, the nitty gritty of it because you've got some interesting stories. But knowing a, that you're going to help your teammates, I mean, that is a huge feather in your cap, especially when Trickus is fighting a guy like Robert Whittaker and is now the number one ranked middleweight of the UFC. And, you know, I mean, in terms of pushing for that top spot and fighting Adesanya at one point. So I take pride in it, in, in t- embarking on that journey with Rickus and Cameron because there's not many fighters that can tailor their style to suit a different fighter, which is something that I've taken upon myself for this camp. So I basically turned into Robert Whittaker, a big highlight of the trip was after the fight. He comes to me, he's like, Marky, Marky, that side thrust kick of yours, it's way better than his. It's way better. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, it makes you feel good. Yeah. It, it makes your confidence shoot through the roof. Um, it was three weeks of sparring every day, half an hour with Trickers, with Cameron. And that for me personally, built my confidence because I'm fighting not I'm fighting a completely different style. I'm fighting their opponent's style. And in, at the same time, you want to also not get beat like they yeah. get beat up. So you're learning a lot more defensively. And I believe my striking has definitely elevated after this and my confidence with that. It's fascinating. Did you study a lot of Whitaker fights to adapt or, you know, because... He has got a distinct style, and you have to almost mimic him. Was that something you've, or have you always it's, just been a fan? Or? It's like, like I've been in the sport for so long now. I think if you look at anyone that's that's done something for ten years plus, you don't have, like you don't necessarily study it. When, when I when I fight someone, when I get my opponent, I'll study him. But uh, like if I try and do it the second day, it just it's not the same. So the first day, what happens is I enter it with like a very mindful mindfulness um, awareness in mm. the sense of I'm watching it um, I'm reading what he's doing but more so I'm accepting it and I understand like when I do it I'm not thinking of it so Robert nice jab side thrust right kick jab fake the right right kick that's about his stand up arsenal and then you've got the wrestling and the jits so now it's just about putting that into timing perspective, which got a little bit nasty because Drickers is uh, he's busy <laughs> working to to like break that yes. timing. Yeah, and then it's now a story of okay, using that same tool set but trying to trick him into falling into the trap, and then he just keeps breaking it. So it was quite the experience. And what was it like? I mean, traveling. What is is the is the UFC Apex? Is it a big facility? I mean, for someone like me or MMA fans watching uh, that have never been there, what was it like? I mean, did you, was it like 
oh my goodness, I have to pinch myself. I'm actually here or what was it like? I think it it could be like that for a lot of people, but I I take everything like at a at a level pace. Otherwise I get carried away. Sure. Um landing in Vegas, we landed like late evening. The next morning we get up, first things first, we're going to go to the PI. You walk in there, it is a world-class facility. So all the fighters, their fingerprints are embedded into the system. So Trickers or Cammy put their finger down if they don't open the door for us. You get to reception, immediately there's coffee, the worst coffee <laughs> in the world. America has the worst coffee in the world. I wish they would get better beans. Um, but that's also a different story. You sign in at the front desk. You hope your opponent's not there. Cameron said it beautifully. It's like in intercontinental grounds from John Wick. So you don't conduct business on intercontinental grounds. <laughs> if you see them, you can make a little bit of a movie, but nothing crazy. That's actually where I ran into Sean Strickland. I was about to ask, yeah. So uh, we just did our session. I'm coming out. There's not a lot of guys that I that I follow, admire too much. Um, but Sean Strickland is out there. He's quite vocal. And as I'm walking to the bathroom, I see him coming in and I'm like a kid, like, and I just see his first tensing, he's looking at me, he doesn't really know, like, who's this guy, who's, why is he looking at me like he wants to eat me? I'm like, no, 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 Sean, like, like, you don't know me, but I know you, like, I'm a bit of a fan, what's up, bud? And he's like, oh, what's up, man, you must come spar, you must come spar. And I'm like, okay, I'll come spar, dude, Where, when is it? She says, one this afternoon, and then there's one, like, Wednesday or Thursday. I'm like, sweet, I'll make Thursday, I just did quite an hectic session. It's like, cool, 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 I see you there. Carry on. Okay, so this is at Couture, uh, right? Uh, no, no, this this uh, is at the PI. Oh, still PI. So I'm yeah. still giving you the two of the PI. So you sign in at the front okay. desk, walk past bathrooms on your right. Nothing too crazy, but they do have a cool little MacGyver thing after training. You put your shorts, your wet gear in, and you press it down. It like <laughs> makes it dry for you. If you that's pretty cool. No, it's flipper. If yeah. you're an athlete and you've got wet clothes, yeah. that thing is game changing. Then you get out the bathroom. First things first, we need to go get some breakfast. So you walk through the bottom part, double floor building. Walk through the uh, bottom part on the left is where all the physio sessions get done. Through the conditioning session, you'll see like quite a few names. Uh, I think on the first day we saw Pereira. Who's Pereira? No, no. Is it Alex Pereira? Yeah. yeah. Not Michael, Michael Pereira, maybe like a welterweight, a big welterweight. Oh, uh, okay. One of the bigger ones. Yeah, per the other Pereira I'm thinking of is light heavy now. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. So he wasn't. There. But Asanya knows him quite well. Yeah, <laughs> twice. <laughs> anyway, so you go to the back, it's a big, um, almost like a high school, you know, American high school. You go for your lunch, you order up whatever you need, whatever you want. There's like a from canteen sort of thing. 100%. Or, yeah. um, you load your food, we have breakfast, we go back. And how was the food? Food was decent. Better the, than the coffee? Uh, better than the coffee. Better okay. than the coffee. And could the, you order anything or was it a set menu type thing? So they've got chefs there. Okay. They've got like a little set menu. You can order your chicken, your rice, um, crumb chicken for the guys who are feeling frisky. Uh, <laughs> they've got little thin base pizzas there, one side no one ever touches. They've got a salad bar um, there's a, like a fridge full of drinks. You, you pay for everything. Fighters get a slip. They get to eat lunch and dinner, Ugh, breakfast and lunch. And then for the add-ons, it's but it's like stupid cheap, like $7 for a full meal with a drink. Oh, brilliant. Uh, and in the restaurant, you're paying like $15. Yeah. 
Anyway, then you make your march back, um, back to the bathroom, get your gear up the stairs to where the two cages are, and then a quite a big matted area. Forest Griffin is quite a household there. He, like he's there every day grafting, taking a new like there was a basketball team training. And the first thing you notice is that no one actually trains, uh, in my opinion. Okay. Like, um, there was a guy who fought a week or two later. He was there almost every day the time we were there. But they come in, they eat the bag, they shadow a little bit with their partners, and then they, they go home. When me and Ricky get into the cage, the whole gym takes notice. That first punch Gets lands. Rowdy. No, no, you, <laughs> like guys are looking at us like we are mad. Like they don't understand <laughs> what's happening in there. We know, we know full well. Yeah. We've got a plan. We yeah. know it's going down in in a week or two. But other people are looking at us like we cowboys. Yeah, yeah. They don't understand. These South Africans. Hundred <laughs> percent. So on one of the so that happened like let's say Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. We come back to Wednesday, the Wednesday or Thursday, the day of sparring. But now in the meanwhile, I found out Sean Strickland is fighting this weekend. So I don't really know how the math adds up if I'm going to be able to spar him. But he invited me. I'm going regardless. I walk into him again with his buddy um, Chris Curtis. Yeah, yeah. But you know, hey, what's up, buddy? We we're going to spar this afternoon. He's like, no, no, I'm not sparring. I'm fighting. But Chris is going to spar you. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. Runs into Drickers. I'm like, hey, bud. Like, no offense. Anything I say, like. You know, I don't want to, there's no beef. I'm just making a movie for the cameras. Okay. Because okay. it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that, yeah. son. <laughs> uh, so we go, we end up, we do our sessions at the gym. We go to Extreme Couture. We're wrapping up, gearing up. And they're quite finicky about you need all the gear. So I didn't have knee pads. Someone borrowed me some knee pads. I get, now I still don't know who I'm sparring. There's some pretty big. Yeah, big dicks on the floor, light heavyweights, middleweights, not very much welterweights. Did they weights. know you were welter? They didn't. They didn't. But everyone, it's like a weird cult vibe. So they have like these little groups of okay. people, like they kind of train together, they kind of train together. The first guy, we did like a warm-up round. I went to this guy. He, I don't know if you remember a while ago, there was like a shortish guy fighting a tall blonde guy. He knocked him and then he carried on beating the shit out of him. It sh he should have gotten stopped yeah. earlier. And then eventually he gripped the ref and he started like jujitsuing the ref. <laughs> so <laughs> I warmed up with that guy. Then the first round, Chris Curtis calls me. So I'm like, okay, cool, game time. Let's go. So basically all he does, he's in southpaw. He walks down, he wants that left body. He comes up with the hook. So I'm eating him with a few punches. He's landing a few of the body punches. And I'm a, I'm a fairly nice guy. Like People think I'm an asshole, but I'm a fairly <laughs> nice guy. So I wasn't digging in with the punches, but I know wrestling we can go 100%. Yeah. So I take him down. I take his back. Almost get the rear naked. We go up, down, up, down the first round. And as soon as that round ends, the excuses just start from Chris Curtis. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. I don't know what's going on to you. But he's shouting it to the whole gym. So I'm like, okay, cool. You were manhandling him. I was No, I was ragdolling him, <laughs> like badly so. Second round, I went with that guy that did the knockout. Yeah, yeah. Good round for us, back and forth. And Chris came back for the third round. That Hoping was, you were tired, I'm no, sure. No, that was like, I think that's where I took his soul. Like that, that was, that was... Chris Curtis's soul is here in South in Africa. <laughs> it's, it's in my back pockets. He can come get it anytime he wants. Uh, yeah, shame. The this, this second round was bad for him. Like I really dominated yeah. him. Ricky says 10-8 round at least. 
fourth round, I just went to mess around a little bit, caught my breath. And the fifth round, we finished again, more of the same. Like, honestly, when I walked away there, they told me, look, that's a middleweight, fifth, number 15 ranked in the UFC. And, you know, that imposter syndrome in my head is going, I don't, like, I don't believe that. Yeah. I don't believe he's number, like, yes, he's number 15, but maybe he just kind of, like, rocked up there. Like, I don't know how he really got there. But it was a cool experience. Yeah. So this has been a good trip for you all ro- over. I mean, first you got to see Drickus and Cameron both win. You you got to spar. You got your name out there. I mean, Extreme Couture knows who Mark Hume is now. Certainly. Um, certainly. So where does this leave you in your career right now? Because you, um, in terms of the EFC, the welterweight champion, there's obviously a lot of noise around the UFC. And we know that you're very close to that. Um, can you give much away now as to what's next for you in your career? So what's next is a devastating TKO. 25th of August, UAE Warriors, signed, done, dusted. Okay. Dean Barry is going to get slept that night. So I feel there's one more thing I need to do before I go to the UFC, and that's get a TKO victory. Okay. So we're getting that TKO, and then... Drikas is quite animate. He's not fighting unless I'm on the card with him next time. He's going to go fight for that uh, middleweight title. And that could be New York or Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. New York or Vegas. Yeah, November or December. So I'm getting my record up to 10-3, and adding that TKO, little highlight reel, and then I'm joining the boys. Um, Mark, I've got to ask you, like, you look at your journey, and and we'll get to your, which is now a famous journey that you took. Um... Where did your love of MMA start? When I mean, I know back in the Fight Fit Militia days and even before that, but where did your love for MMA start? When was that moment where you were like, hey, I can do this? Because you speak of the imposter syndrome, and I think there's a lot of people that achieve success and they're going, do I really belong here? And there, there you are, just explaining. There's, a, there's quite an interesting, I don't know what you call it, but it's not a theory. It's been proven where... The less you know about something, the more you think you know. And the more you know, the less you think you know. Because you know so much, you start seeing like all the dangers involved. If we take, for instance, a photo, uh, photographer, you pick up a camera, you take a few shots. Oh, I'm great at this. I can do this as a living. Then someone who's been doing it for so many years understand the lighting, they understand the angle, they understand the shadows, they understand yeah. all of that work, and they become a little bit insecure because they're not certain they're going to be able to get that perfect shot every time. And through the years, I, I've kind of felt that happening. So my first, my love for MMA started in a Greek hall in Pretoria. I was about 15, um, 15 not knowing what I want to do with my life, just causing havoc wherever I go and as like a last resort before sending me to a boarding school my dad tried MMA classes and I went for the first one and afterwards I told my dad that's like this is it dad like we can stop school we can stop everything this is what I want to do with my life that moment that literally after my first moment in class I said this is what I'm going to do with my life like I went home I watched some UFC I watched a few MMA fights this is it like, I don't care how, I don't know how, but this is how I'm going to do it. And from there, the journey started. When I was 18, I moved into a gym in Joburg. I slept there under a cage. For, for like, That's crazy, man. Well, I mean, I was determined. Yeah. You know, I was, I was young. I was young. I had nothing to lose. I'd done some odd jobs. I had like a thousand bucks in the bank. Did you finish school? 
I did. Okay. I was. So I was got forced to, man. Yeah. I was forced to. Like, I was on my way. So you get like a, a final hearing in school where they basically ask you to leave before they go through the official process of taking you to court to suspend you. Yes. So I'd already had one of those, right? And then something happened. Like uh, I think I threw a cracker like above the principal's head, like quite a big one as well, and. Uh, when we were on our way to the second one, my dad and I, and in the car, like it's a big, it was a very big thing for him that I finished school for some gotcha. for some reason. I don't like I don't know, but I respect him for it. You know, it shows great. If you can if you can finish school, you can finish anything. And on the way there, I was quite relieved. Now I can finally pursue my MMA career yeah. full time. And on the way there, he got a bit emotional and he mm. asked me like, "Hey, just do it for me." If you're not for yourself, if you couldn't care less, just do it for me. And I took it to heart. So when we got there, I took initiative. Everyone's already sitting around a big ass table. I sat, everyone sat. The principal said a few words, like, okay, let the meeting commence. And I said, can I say something? I got up. I said, listen, I understand the situation I'm in, but I also understand you guys can't just suspend me. You know, like, I'm not going to disappear. You're asking me to leave. I'm telling you, I'm not going to leave. What I suggest is we draw up a contract. If I lose one more negative point, then I'll pack my bags that same day and leave. So, it's a very mature approach. Well, my dad asked me very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So they set up that contract. Um, now I'm still training. I've got quite a good MMA uh, amateur record. Like my first fight, it's the only fight my dad hasn't been at except my international ones. Uh, I fought another kid like 15 years old. I jabbed him. His nose started bleeding. He cried. And that was it. That was my first fight. And then my coach said back then, he was like, no, we can't. You're not fighting kids. You're fighting grown-ups now. So like shortly after, I fought in that same hall. And I was a big kid. Like I was a little bit fat as well, tubby. So I was weighing 93, fighting light heavyweight as a 15, 16-year-old <laughs> against adults. Yeah. And winning <laughs> every time uh, until my I'm going on a bit of a rant. No, so please just carry on. In. Until my third fight, I fought this guy Yedri Kukumur. He was quite a he was quite a big name back in the day, amateur. <laughs> and we went all three rounds. I went into like my previous fights. I don't know how I went into the fights. I just kind of did and I won. And this fight, I was like, chocolate doll. He's the man. I'm gonna just go out there and swing for the fences. And I did, and we did that all three rounds, but I was so gassed, I couldn't, <laughs> yes, yeah, I couldn't do anything. He moved me, I moved him, it was back and forth, and he took it. You speak of your amateur career, right? And uh, you went through a lot of, like, I suppose, self-development, as you do with an amateur, and as you should before you turn professional. But what fascinates me the most is, and, and I've spoken to you about this before, but there was a time in, in COVID where you were looking for answers you were and, and i mean that's that's not far away i mean it's not that long ago where you were like i need answers in my life where am i going what was going through your mind then and maybe just tell us where that sort of started because i just got the feeling like you this incredible athlete with all this potential and up until that point you had no direction or no plan to execute how you get to that High performance. That, I agree that, with that, you. Uh, executing the go plan, uh, the game plan, and showcasing Mark Hume, the MMA athlete. I couldn't agree more. There's 
in in this sport, in any sport, I'm assuming, but especially in this sport, it's important to to have guidance. It's important to have a strong leader, and no no disrespect to anyone else who came before Mornay Fisser, but I needed someone like Mornay Fisser. I needed that kind of strong man in my life that I can actually look up to mm. and admire and listen to. So, man, like, uh, where to start? Let, let's start at, let's say, tw- 2018. I just, I just come off uh, quite a spectacular victory over Adam Townsend, big name, big name in America and Russia as well. That's where Russia basically heard of me. Mm. Um, but I came out of the fight damaged. I had a dislocated tendon to my right ankle, and my left knee was was not doing too great. So now it's like it's already it's been a little it's been a moment of up and downs before that and now this I had to go for operation in Joburg General which was uh, like I mean the operation itself was phenomenal but it's no place you ever want to catch yourself when you're down and out. So after that uh, I felt like there was no more there was there was nothing left for me in Joburg. Like I couldn't really make a living training or personal training or anything like that. So I kicked it back to Pretoria. I moved back in with my parents, something that I dreaded because I moved out of the house at 18, lived in a gym just because I wanted my independence. I wanted to start this journey of being a man. And now I'm back there with a broken foot, broken dreams, broken heart. And there the, the rebuilding process started. You know, like really assessing what I want in life. And what I wanted more than anything else was to be a world champion, is to be the world champion. Yeah, and not just in on any platform, is to go to the UFC and become the number one fighter in my division. So now that's my dreams, but I'm sitting at home, at my parents' home, and I've got nothing going for me. Started training, um, like just at Virgin Active, Found my way to CIT, started training there, but I'm like, I mean, I'm a mess. Like, I, I'm training, but I, sh- I, w- I wouldn't have been cleared to train. Yeah. And what, did they did they ask you to come, or were you like, hey man, I just need a place to train? So I reached I reached out to Drickers. Okay. We had a coffee. I him, look, I'm in Pretoria now. It only makes sense for me to come here. He, he was he was uh, he was very hospitable. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, come to the gym like you know you know like a real open gym policy like uh, like i made it so formal like come let's go for coffee i want to join your gym when the reality was like hey but just fucking show up yeah Dude, how, how do you feel about swearing man oh, no it's uh, I, not it's so up much. to you okay it's your it's your story man so we, when the reality was just like show up so i did show up but i was struggling uh, and even then like i mean i got into two motorcycle accidents, one of which someone actually drove into the ankle that I just had oh, surgery on. You know, like, like a lot of mishaps. I, I finally signed a fight, one that I probably wasn't ready for, but I was just like, I, I need to do something. Yeah. I'm not someone that can just sit still. Then I, it was like impossible to get the visa. Like the guy literally emailed me to it's impossible. And I was like, okay, I don't understand. And this is before COVID, right? This is just before COVID. Okay. So now we're going into like... January 2019 yeah. my manager I met him on Instagram he messaged me he reached out um, very nice guy Givy Papowski and he tuned me look what, like a lot of unfortunate events have happened why don't you come to Russia do a camp here have the fight and then we reassess from there and I felt like I needed that I needed to get out of my parents house mm-hmm. I needed to get 
out of Pretoria, out of South Africa. I just needed to like go on an adventure. And what an adventure it was. My first time first time alone in a country for six, seven, eight weeks. Um so that's like the Dagestan chapter and that, like I mean I can't even explain to you <laughs> how crazy that was, man. My manager so I landed in Moscow. He picked me up. Now we finally met in person. Very cool guy. Drops him off at my hotel. Tomorrow morning we're flying to Dagestan together. I'm going to show you where all the gems are. And then I'm leaving. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go. <laughs> we fly to Dagestan. Um, I, I got a Russian number. Downloaded their app. Uh, their Uber app. It's like a weird yellow. Very weird. Um, and so, so the camp started in Dagestan. First first session was at the conditioning gym where I met Umar, that was my conditioning coach and another coach who I did some pads with. And then the second session was at Agat. That's like a wrestling BJJ-based gym. The previous feather or lightweight champion is like the head coach there. And then in the evening we went to, I'm trying to remember that gym's name, but it basically means Highlander in English. Okay. And that's where that's where the real shit went down. So my first like my first session was a stand up session. Second night, freezing cold, it's winter, no no heaters, nothing going, and we're wrestling. And I'm honestly I'm I'm a little bit shocked because I'm hanging with these Russians and not just any Russians, Dagestanis. Yeah, I mean. Like and it's not like they they're not getting the better of me. I'm not really getting the better of them, but it's a flipping good fight, man. So we wrestle we finished our session. The coach makes us all sit in a circle and he calls two guys up in the middle to wrestle. I'm like, oh, shit, I know it's going down. I know it's going down. He's going to call me and there's no way I'm losing to a Dougie Stunny in front of everyone. So eventually my turn comes, calls me in, he calls the other guy in. We square off a little bit. This guy shoots a quick double. I block him. I go for the hip throw, lands on his hand, back to his feet. I think he shoots another double, but his posture's a bit broken, and I just sit over him, and I land in mount. And I, as I land in mount, he kind of like submits to me, and I look around, and I'm just like, ah! <laughs> and the whole gym goes mad. It's uh, like a scene from a movie, man. No, look, there, there's many, there's many more scenes like that. Yeah. I mean, just a casual one that's not involved with training. So, like, obviously, I have to. F- first of all, I'm living with three roommates of which one speaks this much English. <laughs> so finding out where's the shops, so the green apple is like they pick and pay, so green apple you go, you buy your, your grains, your fruit, your, all of that, but I didn't trust their meat. So instead I went to one of the street butcheries, like also trying to live like the people sure. of the land. And I remember the first thing I see is this big like tree stump in the middle, it's got its little freezer in the back, and the, like the biggest, like meat cleaver you've ever seen like this big i wish i still had the photo (laughs) and you just (laughs) take out them like whatever piece of meat chop it for you then you'd go and cut it there on the side so that was my butcher i got my meat from him i walk home i drop my meat off i'm on my way to the green apple and i just hear boom 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 mark mark and I'm like, yo, this is so weird. No one should know my name in this <laughs> terrible place. And I'm like looking around and I check it's my butcher. And he's like, Jimmy, come here. So I ran there. I'm like, hey, what's up? He's not getting. I get in. Now, he doesn't speak a word of English. So he's like 
translate, translate. So I get my translator. He's like typing something. He looks at me. He says, King Cal. And our King Cal is a delicacy of this. It's two ways of making it. One is like basically boudoirs that they dried and then they boil it. And you eat that with, you know, like old school dumplings you make on top of a stew. Okay. Uh, like something like that, always with a side salad, uh, which I had the first day. And then the second one is meat that they boil up and that gets served with a like a watery pasta with your salad and all of that. So it's like King Cal. I'm like, okay, cool. King Cal, let's go. So he drives me to his house. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I, I bought meat from him once <laughs> yeah. or twice, you know. So I'm on my way to his house, he, like translating, phoning his wife, like uh, tuning her maybe, like start cooking with what a guest, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, on the way, he's like, cousin, cousin. He's picking up his cousin. Uh, it's a whole big deal for him. We pick up his cousin. We go to his house. Uh, everyone there is Muslim. So it's like it takes some getting used to to understand their culture we get there, the kids and the granny are in the living room. I never saw the wife, even though she cooked the whole meal for us. So the kids were playing. As soon as we got there, the kids left. We started watching horse racing. He was he was like very excited to point out that his his SUV is the same one on the TV. Okay. That's his car. His <laughs> wife cooked us dinner, like a, quite a feast. Um, I had my first serving, I had my second serving. And then I had the last piece of bread, so he sent his daughter to go buy some more bread. Came back. Now I had to have some more bread. I was already full by then. Then came the biscuits and the tea and the fermented fruit. And like eventually I was so like I was so like duck from eating all that food. I just wanted to go home. Yeah. And then he's like, Okay, like let's go. I'm like, cool, let's go. We're going home. And then the cousin comes to me, he's like, Horsey, horsey. And I'm like, what is this like saying, horsey, horsey? So he translates for me, now we're going to the horses. Can I can I ride a horse? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I can ride a horse. I've watched a Western <laughs> yeah, movie. I mean, how, how, difficult, <laughs> how difficult can it be driving a horse? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, like in the back of my head, I've got the comfort. Like horses are expensive. It's like, you know, like it's more wealthy sport sure. rather than anything else. And we're driving like quite a route out of town. And eventually we stopped by this broken down stadium. So I'm assuming it was like a Coliseum kind of vibe. Well, now there's only like one one piece left, rocks crumbling on the side. And I checked it, they legit look like cowboys. So they come out, they greet us. We go into the stadium. This is nighttime. Uh, the, the sun is starting oh, okay, to set. Okay, so there's like a nice yeah, yeah. mount. I can't explain to you what I saw, man. So, so we go in, we check the horses, and now when I see the horses, I'm like, okay, these things are not, they don't look tame. I tried to touch the one that came for me like possessed. I'm like, okay, I don't know what I set myself up for. I'm only fighting in like five weeks, so let's hope there's no injuries. You take out the two horses. Luckily, they've got saddles on. And I checked the one is the demon possessed one. And the cousin goes straight for the other one. So now I have to face this demon. So I walk up to it easily enough. I get up. I remember someone told me, you don't put your foot all the way in. You just put the tip so that if you fall, it can't drag you. So at least I had that. I'm like on the horse. And I'm like, okay, let's, like, let's go. <laughs> and I whip it. And, it does, and I like try to kick it in the leash. It doesn't want to move. And eventually it starts like, just walking like slowly, slowly, slowly. I'm fighting it all the time so it doesn't eat with me on its back. I, I think that's a bad habit. I don't know anything about horses. And in the, so the mountain is like over there 
and you've got my the guy that brought me my butcher is like running his horse in a circle like very majestically the sun is setting it's beautiful and now my horse thinks it's a good idea to go interfere with his horse <laughs> so as we're getting closer i'm like trying to steer it away but this thing just does what it wants and eventually it gets too close so that all starts well, i don't know hissing yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. and my horse starts doing the same <laughs> in like true mma fashion i just dive for the neck like rear naked choke vibe but it is a thick fella and as i grab the neck it's still going up and when it went down i just slid off gripped it by the mouth yanked it closer swapped hands and i waited for someone to come and fetch the horse man i was not risking my life a second time wow what a, that's amazing um Let's let's um, go fast forward a little bit to COVID when so yeah so COVID started while I was there yeah so short shortly after I got bronchitis, my manager sent me to the hospital. They deal with it a lot differently than us. They booked me into the hospital for a week. So it's like Corona is on the on the surface already. Yeah. So I like they actually thought I had it to be to be honest. They put me in an isolated room first, did all the tests and stuff. A week later like a, a life-changing week later i get out and my manager phones me and now it's like two or three weeks to the fight and he's like bud we need to get you out of here and i'm like i'm perfectly happy where i am yeah. like i don't I'm mind staying here <laughs> he's like no no you don't understand I've got my butcher and my horses Yo, no i was i was set up properly so he's like no you don't understand uh they're closing moscow so no one in no one out and that's happening on Monday. So we have to get you out this weekend. So I'm like, oh, if there's no way that I can stay, then get me the hell out of here. Yeah. So he books my ticket. I believe I was on one of the last flights out of the country. On the way back home. And I'm like, yes, dude, this fight, this fight was going to change my life. Yeah. Right? Like, it was going to put me back into that. Like, I was on a winning streak, but just like in the winning column of life in general. Yeah. And I needed that. But now instead, I'm coming home. I don't have a place to stay. Like, I don't really want to go back to my dad. So I've got my mom left. So I phone my mom. I'm like, hey, can I come crash there? Like, who knows what's happening with this corona thing? I landed the week that they started the lockdown. Yeah. So the first four weeks was at my mom. Now, like, I mean, it, you know, it's a long, it's a long story. And you have to understand everything to understand why I eventually got there. So first four weeks at my mom, and you can only really stay that long at your mom, right? So I mean, we love our moms. No, I, I love I her. You. I love I, her I too, you, but, you. but yes, I've you met know. her. She's a lovely lady. No, she's the best. I love you, mom, but you can be too much. <laughs> 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 no, so after that lovely four weeks with my mother, like I've got this itch in my heart. Like uh, I, there was a stage, and it could have started like f relatively close to this time where. I used to tell my sister, like, yeah, like, I feel like there's something big on its way. I feel like there's, like, I need to be somewhere. There's something, like, something's going to happen, but, like, I have no direction. I don't know where to go. I'm just, like, I've got all this energy buzzing inside of me, and there's nowhere to go. I, I don't know which direction. And that was brewing up, you know, like, everyone went through a lot of shit during that time. Um, uh, yeah, so I was drifting. Okay, so from my mom, I went to a friend. We had a we had a catastrophe happen to one of our friends. He didn't make it. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. It, it happens. It happens. He's in a better place now. Shout out to Simi. Anyway, after that, I got a call from one of my old clients, Meneer Andris and Michelle. 
and they were like like we've been on fishing trips together and everything and they were like what like what are you doing so like honestly I, I don't know what i'm doing i'm just kind of drifting like they like no one's doing anything but like me specifically they i don't know like i'm just training but you know why don't you come visit us for a while we're going to sneak down to the coast in a week like just breathe a little bit like take 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 a load off like relax i'm like okay cool that sounds good so moving with them and during that time that I'm like living there, visiting my sister, I start telling my sis, I need, I need to, I need guidance. Mm. I need to meet with God. Like I've, I think, like I've, I've done, it, like pre- previous times in attempts to get answers. I went to the church. I isolated myself for seven days. I, like, I fasted. I didn't eat anything. I just drank water. I want answers. I didn't get answers. Uh, even though I think it was great for my body, like to reset everything. So now I need to escalate things. Fasting alone doesn't help. I need to, in my head, you know, I'm not saying this is how it is for everyone, but in my head, I need answers from God. He's the only one that can help me. Like he's the only one knowing that what I'm going through at this time. Yeah. And also I've got, I've got an urge to do something, you know, like I don't just want to sit and do nothing, even though it could have been very easy to do that. So I told my sis, look, I think I need to meet God on a mountain somewhere. And she's like, there's a mountain in Cape Town. I'm like, okay, how do I get there? She's <laughs> like, well, there's no flights, there's no driving, there's no, that you know, I walk. She's like, no, what do you mean you walk? I said, I walk to Cape Town. I need to get to that mountain. I want my meeting with God, so I'm going to walk to Cape Town. And then it was like, okay, And that's how crazy. close, in case you... W- wondering how far that is, like 1,400 odd kilometers, yeah, somewhere yeah, around there. 1,400. So just in like, case you are overseas and you want to know how far it is from Joburg to Cape Town, it's bloody far. It's bloody far. Like just short of a 1,000 miles. Yeah. So then the next day, I'm set. I'm dead set on this. I'm going to the mountain. Uh, like that was I'll, it? Your I'll mind was like made this. up? No, done. Done. Like done, done, done. I'm I'm walking. But now it's just a case of like, I don't know when, I don't know how. I literally that night picked up the phone, Google Maps, put it on walking, put it, I zoomed into Cape Town. So I wanted to hit like beach, obviously, and then like maybe the furthest tip. But there was no real nice beaches on the furthest tip. So I zoomed in on this one place, the Cape of Good Hope. And there was a beach, Diaz Beach. So I put my locator there, said walk. I think it's like, it says you can walk there in like, six seven days but 24 hours a day yeah. so no sleeping no nothing anyway so i've got i've got that set out now so i see like a friend's mom you know no, how's it going like i'm planning on walking to cape town like what do you think <laughs> she, she's like oh i think i've got a bag for you here you go so wow. he gives me like a bag and a sleep uh, and a um what do you call the sleeping bag sleeping yeah, bag. yeah, yeah. she so gives me a bag and a sleeping bag so i'm like cool i have a bag and a sleeping bag and then i phone up my friend i'm like hey uh what are you like i'm thinking of walking to cape town he's like no you're crazy you're gonna die don't do that like what why would you do that i'm like okay 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 relax relax <laughs> then i go to another friend uh chris to bosov to man you know like you you know me you you've been a part of my life for a while I'm going to walk to Cape Town, man. I need this. He's like, that's so cool, man. Uh, like, we can record it and we can do this and we can do that. And you know what? There's this thing, 13 peaks in Cape Town. Maybe you finish with that. And I'm like, okay, 13 peaks. Uh, what is it? It's like, no, it's like a walk in the mountains. I'm like, awesome. That sounds great. I'll do the 13 <laughs> peaks. I'll check it out later. So I get home that night. Now, like, I've, I've got my bag. I've got my sleeping bag. 
I've got a tent somewhere along the way. Uh, I'm Googling 13 peaks and I see it's a 107 kilometer trail run. So you start at Sea Point all the way around Cape Town, Blue, uh, Blue, uh, not Blueberg, all the way around um, Camps Bay, uh, Devil's Peak, there where the colored houses are. Okay, okay. All the way around, man. 107 case. I phone him up. I'm like, dude, are you mad? <laughs> like he's walking to Cape Town. Not enough. You want me to do 107 kilometers in the mountain? He's like, well, it'll be cool. I'm like, okay, it'll be cool. And I want to meet God in the mountains. So now this thing, this thing is like growing. And it all happened in a week, really. My mom's like, I'm going to get you new shoes. I'm like, leave me. I've got shoes. I've got running shoes. Leave me. <laughs> He's like, no, please let me get your shoes. I'm like, no. So you're walking as I am. Doing it, yeah. Three shorts, three shirts, uh, three underwears, and a shit ton of socks. Like a <laughs> lot of socks, man. <sighs> okay, so that week, it's like in a week, I get all my gear. I think the Sunday nights, I'm busy packing. Like, I I'm even made a little logo with a girl that I saw back then. I'm ready. Monday morning we wake up and I mean there's so many unknowns. There's so many unknowns. So when you're Andres and Michelle, they're sitting at breakfast, it's like quite a tense moment and they're like, Have you given any thought to what we spoke about last night? So I'm like, Okay. What we spoke about was like basically just giving them updates as to where I am location wise, mm -hmm. all of that, which like now it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and number two Maybe they drive me out of the city because one of the spots that I was going to walk past is Soweto. Like, not through, but like on the border. So just past Soweto. And I was like, okay, look, the, the Soweto thing, I need to do it. I need to walk from here because it's a big thing for me to fight out of this chaos, out of this madness, which was tough. And then the second thing is I'm going to, like, I'm putting my phone off. I'm not even going to keep my phone on. And I'm like, okay, like, whatever you want. They send me off. I started walking. Now, I started walking in there close to Mall of Africa. So, out Mall of Africa, kind of, up Vetkopen, all the way, um, is it Ruerepoort? I think so, yeah. All the way to Ruerepoort, around, and then that there's like a township right behind it. Now, I've walked all day. I think the first day I walked like 28 kilometers in my shoes. Uh, my feet were broken. I already had blisters. I was in pain. My knees were paining. Everyone I get to, they're like, oh, what are you doing? Like, who are you? Whatever. I'm like, I'm walking to Cape Town. Like, you mad. You never. <laughs> are you mad? You never. They're just random people on random the street. Random people, like people working on the street. <laughs> like, it was, yeah. So, the first day. a tall dude walking to yeah, Cape Town. And, and I'm like, geared. I've got my backpack. I've got my tent. I've got my hat. So that evening, now it's like starting to starting to become sunset, let's say like 5.30ish. I, I know I can't walk much further, but I just have to get through this like kind of township. And as I turn the corner, I see it's like highway again, but just a two-lane one and like no hope of a place to sleep. Like uh, my heart's shattered. Like what am I going to do? It's my first night here. Do you have any money on you? I have some stash okay, cash, okay. like for food. Sure. So, uh, well, basically, so the plan was also like buy food next to the road. Sure. But there came a stage where for 120 kilometers between towns, there's no food. There's nothing, yeah. We'll get to that. So I'm looking around, my heart's like sitting in my stomach, and I see a bush 
like I think I've told this story, but I see a bush and it's circular. I thought, okay, maybe it's hollow inside. I walk across the street and like in a moment, because people are walking through the park, you get into the like this where to I'm assuming. Slip into the bush. There's shit everywhere. It's dirty. It stinks, but I'm isolated. So I take a stick. I whip those fuckers out of there. I drop my tent. I obviously not pitch it, but I just drop it so that I'm on some, on mm. a clean surface. I open my bag. I put my phone on, and, and I want to cry. I'm like thinking, who do I know that lives close by? Maybe I can go sleep there. They drop me off in the morning. I reached out. I sent a few messages. No one got back to me. Which, in hindsight, I'm grateful for. I'm really grateful for. So I, s- I settled there the evening. I had some gunshots, like, early morning. There's even a guy who came and rattled my bush. He's, like, collecting wood. And in a moment, I just thought, this is my bush now. <laughs> like, I'll fight you for it, dude. I don't care what. I don't care how many times you're shouting here. It's mine. I was here first. So, yeah, that was basically the start of it. Like, um, walking, walking far, man. Like, just, you wake up. There's no coffee or anything to motivate you. You have a sip of water. You pack up your shit. I've, I had my shoes like right next to my head. <laughs> if they came, they weren't going to take my shoes. <laughs> so second day, I'll, I'll finish with this story and then you, we can yeah, carry sure, on. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, the second day I woke up, I walked a bit and I'm like, I need coffee. Like I love coffee. I need it. I, like, And I smell coffee. But it, like, bear in mind where we are. And I check, it's, like, down the road. So I turn the corner, I walk down the road, and this old buddy opens the window of his taxi. And he's like, hey, do you know where you are? And I look at him, I'm like, no, uncle, I don't know where I am. And he's like, it's dangerous here. I'm like, okay, I'm just looking for coffee. He looks at me. He's like, you see that blue building? I say, yeah. Across from it, there's a caravan. I'm like, sweet. I walk to the blue building. It's like little kids on the back of a car, like shouting at me. Not, not maliciously, just like I don't think yeah, they've ever seen doing? a white guy in their neighborhood, man. <laughs> so I went, I got my coffee, re-coffee, like four spoons of coffee, four spoons of sugar. Awesome. Where do I refill my water? Got my water refilled, stocked up on some nicotine. I'm ready to go. Um, yeah, you can. You can yeah, I mean, along the way, I mean, we, we are running out of time, but along the way, uh, there's some fascinating things of dodgy cats and place you stayed and and things. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, there's there's so many, man. So what happened there? That was on the 13 peaks. So the idea, I do everything extreme. I can't, I can't just go like it's enough to walk the 100 kilometers. I want to do it on an empty stomach from beginning to ending. I'm not going to eat so any So you've food. made the trip to Cape Town successfully. You've, you've survived. That must have been amazing just getting to Cape Town and knowing, damn, dude, I'm, I've done this. I'm grateful you brought that up. So I think things started shifting for me when I hit Sutherland. Now, Sutherland is about three quarters of the way there's 300 kilometers left my body's used to it my mind's used to it like i'm in a good flow of things i know when you get to town you're buying your i think it was like three sandwiches a day so three six nine toasted cheese and ham or toasted cheese and tomato whatever was the lightest to pack so i've got all of that i've got all of that sorted um the determination to get there uh, there was like an urge 
to get there rather sooner than later. I aim to do it under 50 days, just like competitive nature. Uh, one of the last like long walks I did was from Sutherland through the Karoo. There I met like the... Uh, like these the loveliest I w- this was a, a godly journey for me like I did it with yeah. God right <laughs> like everyone I speak to on the road they're obviously like like I, I tell them like oh, I'm looking for answers I'm walking this road with God and as I'm walking out of Sutherland it was really tough walking out of Sutherland always when you've got like a home base you slept yeah. in a bed again it's difficult to leave and this old couple like two in front two in back they pull over they're like are you the man walking for Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, look, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm walking a road with God. I don't know if I'm the man who's walking for Jesus. Like, I don't know what you've heard. They're like, no, we live just down the road. Why don't you pop in tonight and, and have dinner with us? So I'm like, okay, cool. Sounds good. I'll see you guys there. I make my way there. For the, like, extremely hospitable. Mm. So as I get there, they say, look, we don't want you sleeping in the tent tonight. We've got a caravan that we use to track the sheep from one farm to another farm. Why don't you sleep in the caravan tonight? We're going to cook some uh, sheep tail. First time I've ever had sheep tail. Two of the gentlemen that was living there at the time, they had their guitars there, like made a big bonfire. We talked the night away. We sang the night away. We ate so lacquer. And, um, yeah, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting off the point. So, through there, we got to um, there's one there's a there's a place that calls that sounds like a brown vein. I was gonna say not Grafenet, no, 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 no. That's a different brandy. Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So <laughs> that's why I slept in the small town. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I slept. No, no, no. I'm I'm gonna lie to you guys now. <laughs> So, Smarty Town is a colored location. So, uh, I've spoken about that on Cammy's podcast as well. Quite, quite an experience. I got out of there to Durbanville, I believe. I had a, a family member there. They housed me. Now, I'm like, I can basically see the Cape of Good Hope. Like, uh, I'm, I'm here now. Yeah. So, the last bit of the walk was formalities for me. Like, I just, I had to finish. the feet aren't sore or are they in the no, knees? And no. Do you like, start, you know? I think, so what happened was... Up until Sutherland, I basically averaged, like, roughly, when I got into my stride, 40 to 45 Ks a day. That's good going, eh? Now, just before I got to Sutherland, and this was a cool, I went and said goodbye to everyone, obviously, before I left, and I ran into a friend, and he said, when you get to Sutherland and you see the stars, like, just think about me. And I said, well, do you want better? I'll pray for you. So, now, I get to the, this is the night before I reach Sutherland, 50 kilometer mark. I'm on my last sandwich or two, like whatever it was, but I knew it wasn't enough to last me tomorrow. And I've got 50 Ks to go. I'm determined to make it. That day I did 50 kilometers. I tried all my food that evening on an empty stomach. I said, look, I'm going to just, I'm going to go for it. I've realized like we are stronger than we think. I know I can make it Mm. and I'm going to push for it. So I made my first 50 kilometer track to Sutherland. From there, it kind of, Stayed consistent, close to 47, 48, 49, whatever, 50. Now it's like, okay, so we at that place where the colorful huts are on the beach. And that's another, that's like the last walk yeah. to the point. You're 99% I, there. I'm 99% there. The, the one thing that I know I have to do when I get there is phone this farmer. Okay. 
So one day while I was walking through the free state, um, it's again, it's a long, like it's a long story. I think I have told it before, but late afternoon, things are still tough. My body's still adjusting to it. I'm still struggling. And a little bit before bed, like before settling down, like let's say five o'clock, five thirty, I start looking like, where am I going to sleep? Yeah. Which fence am I going to jump? Like what corner is the best? What tree line? So about five o'clock, I reach this like dune and I walk over to see if there's like any hope for sleeping there. And it, it was really terrible. Like you don't want to sleep on sand. You don't want to pitch a tent on sand. I was low on food. I had like one box of grapes and a few chocolates people had given me. A little bit broken morally. And I looked into the distance and I saw a tree line. And like kind of like knowing I'll, I'll just make it there with the sunset. And... As I'm like thinking, should I, shouldn't I, I hear a voice inside of me say, like, trust me. I'm like, okay, trust me. Let's go there. So I walk all the way there. As I get there, I see like a few oaks jumping in cars. They, like, they've done their day's work. They're on their way home. And normally if there's no one there, I jump the fence. I sleep there. I don't make a mess. I pack up. I leave the next morning. Yeah. But now there's people there, so I have to ask. So I go up to the foreman, I ask him like, hey, uh, can I sleep in that tree line this tonight? He's like, I can't say yes or no, and the boss just left. I'm like, okay, don't you have a number that you can call? So he's like, yeah, so he phones it, doesn't answer. Phones it, doesn't answer. Sends a message, no answer. So now we're kind of just standing there. He's like standing there like, can you please get out of yeah, here, I dude? need to go. Yeah, like I didn't care about you, bro. But now we're standing there and... It's like I just saw the sun disappear. So you still have like 10, 15 minutes of sunlight after it's disappeared. But I'm bleak. I'm upset. I'm not happy because some, like I'm walking this road with God. I believe he said, trust me. And now I'm standing here with my finger and my thumb. Yeah, yeah. So I say, okay, cool. Let me give him a shout. Like, let me try phone him one more time and then I'll, I'll pack it up. So I try phone him. He doesn't answer. I hang up. I'm like, this is it. The guy even looks at me like, yeah, okay. You said like, you yeah, know, like yeah. this was the last try. And as I'm busy walking, he phones and he's like, like, what's your story? So look, I just want to sleep in your, in your tree line this evening. Uh, I'm walking the road with God. I'm on my way to Cape Town. It's like, okay, but isn't it going to be cool? Isn't it this? I said, look, like, honestly, if you just say yes, everything is perfect. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. So I end up walking down there. And I'm almost there, but I'm pissed off. I'm kicking rocks. I'm like, now it's dark. I have to pitch my tent in the dark. The trees aren't even that cool. Like, they're dry. They look like thorny trees. And as I'm approaching the place where I'm going to pitch my tent, a car pulls up. And the farmer phones me again. He's like, listen, I phoned my boys. I told them they must take you to the farmhouse on top. They're going to give you the keys. You can sleep there tonight. And then we're going to come. And Oh, then I'll come in the morning and have a coffee with you. So I'm like overwhelmed with joy. I haven't slept in a bed in a few yeah. days. Like the voice did say, trust me, now I'm sleeping in a bed tonight. So they take me up there. I stayed like lovely evening. I eat my grapes and my chocolate. There was no food in the house. Next morning, the farmer comes. <clears throat> we have a chat. And one of the things he, 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 first he told me a story. How he had to go into a taxi rank and take a taxi to get to a meeting or whatever. And like it actually wasn't that bad. And he asked me to make him a promise that when I get to Diaz Beach, I'll phone him and I must tell him if there's hope for this country. And I said, look, I've been walking now two weeks, two weeks, maybe three weeks. 
And from what I've experienced, like there's hope. People are good. I've had nothing but like positive reinforcement from people. I've had nothing but helpful hands from people. So in my opinion, after two weeks, I say there's hope. But I promise you, I will phone you. So with that said, my last day, it was a long walk, man. It was really a long walk because, again, it's like starting the journey is exciting. It's very exciting. There's so much that lays ahead. But now finishing it again without certainty, knowing what's coming next, that, that started to creep up on me again, knowing I don't know what's next. So I got to the beach. I phoned him. I said, look, like I'm here. I've made it. The last few days... He says, the la- okay, let me tell you this first. So the last few days, it was just uh, like I was in full stride. I was eating 50Ks for like six days in a row until the seventh day I rested. He, just, he told me, it's like, look, don't think funny of me, but I started thinking you were cheating along the way because you were making like too, too quick a progress. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, that would defy the, you know, like it would, it would defy the purpose. Yeah, but yeah. he's like, no, no, I believe you. I believe you. Anyway, so I finished there in the beach. Um, I wanted to do like a little naked swim in the ocean, but this couple came and ruined it for me. <laughs> After that, I packed up. I went back, and this was like quite a, quite a, like a knock on the soul. So now I had to walk all the way back to where I came from that morning, right? And I'm walking, and I'm like thinking, hey, I can drive in cars again. Like, I'm trying to each out, but people look at you funny when you put the thumb out. Understandably so. Sure. Like, not judging you know, yeah. anyone. Understandably so. Um, but I got home that evening, or when I say home, a backpack is, and I felt like I'm, I'm empty. You know, like I, don't, like I haven't gotten any answers. But I know the mountains are laying ahead of me. I know there's 13 peaks. Now, as I've walked, that, that's kind of grown a bit. So each peak became a pillow where I was going to pray for something. So a lot of it was thanks to people helping me a lot. I think we've got nine. How many? How many? Um, so start date on Scouting. Provinces. Yeah, yes. nine provinces. Yeah. How many? Nine. Yeah. So I prayed for the nine provinces. I thanked like all the people who helped me on the way there. Um, two more thank yous or whatever. And in the thirteenth peak, that was my peak to do not ask God for my favor. So that started out, like I said, like I'm going to do this on an empty stomach, 100 Ks. I can easily do it in 24 hours. So you start on top of Signal Hill. Then you walk down to Lion's Head. Quick, like, I mean, if you've ever done Lion's Head, it's a fun, it's a fun, quick up and down. You do it in the morning, then you're done. So I eat Lion's Head up and down, and I'm thinking like, I was sold something so much worse. <laughs> like, what are these people carrying on about? <laughs> now I see the next one, the next peak is like, I'm going to just make up a name, but like, let Makulniak or something. Sure. <clears throat> I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So I walk down the lion's head over the streets. Now I'm walking past Stable Mountain. It still hasn't set in, right? So I'm walking past Stable Mountain, and then suddenly it says, like, up here. I'm like, okay, cool. I, like, I kind of see a route. I start climbing that route. Like, I mean, if you're climbing a mountain, you know you're climbing a mountain, yeah. right? Like, you, you prepared for it. Like, I'm going to this weird muckle near peak. <laughs> I'm not climbing to the top of Tafel Bar, yeah. right? <laughs> so eventually I get to the top of Table Mountain. And I'm looking like this looks awfully familiar. I've been here before. I'm sure I just climbed our Table Mountain. 
Then you circle all the way around. So Table Mountain is like a little back valley area with a dam and everything. Circle down there. Then you've got like Tlapperkop or something like that. A few more heads over there. Then eventually in the evening you make your way down. Now as I'm making my way down, it's already dark. So I've got my headlights on. The next, uh, the next peak is Little Lion's Head. <coughs> Little. So I go down, my GPS... It's like you're following you're following a GPX, right? So GPX is basically someone someone went and did a route with their GPS on a map, and you're following their footsteps. Okay, <laughs> it's like you get to a point and it goes up and down. They're like looking yeah. for. <laughs> so I go up, I go down. I could go probably jump over here, jump over here, walk up the street, and it's just like bush, like thick bush you can't really go through and it's like goes up 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 and then in so i walk 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 and where it says to turn in there's like a little cut out hole okay in the wall i'm assuming so i go through there i'm walking through the water pipes it's like i'm i'm feeling like i shouldn't be here but uh, it's on the map so let's go with it eventually i find myself to the bottom of plain luke now I look up it's not a big peak at all I'm plotting, okay, cool. I'll, I'll run up here quickly and then I'll, I'll make my move out. But now I've noticed there's fences around us, like quite quite high, yeah. high fences. So I walk up a little bit and next thing I see these two glaring eyes looking at me because I've got the spotlight on yeah. my head. And this thing is like crouched, like looking at me like it's stalking me. So in a very manly <laughs> voice, I start shooting it like, hey, foot sack here. I'm like eyeballing a clip. Eventually it disappears. So now I'm like, I don't know what that was. I'm feeling like it, it was a cat, but the way it looked at me, it was like it was hungry. Could have been something bigger. Could have been something <laughs> bigger. So I make my journey about three quarters of the way up with my rucksack. And I think at that time it probably weighed... 15 to 20 k's so it's not it's not a lucky thing to carry yeah. around so i'm thinking okay cool i'm right here i've already drifted off the path like i couldn't like i couldn't find the path the gps wanted me to take so i'm just kind of making my way up let me put my bag with my phone and the gps on this rock i'll get it when i come down so i bolt up there i say my prayer as quick as i can and now on the way down, I'm like, where did I put my bag? Oh, <laughs> my heart is like, where did I, why would I do that? Like, I don't even know why I would do that. Because oh, I man. told myself, like, how are you certain you're going to get back? So eventually I find it. Now it's like, it took way longer than I thought it was going to go up and down there. It's like nine o'clock in the evening. I'm pulling a, a lot of amps. I haven't eaten the whole day. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to camp here. Because I don't see a way out, to be honest. I'm going to camp here for the evening. And then tomorrow morning, I'll address the fat. I just hope I don't get eaten by anything funny. <laughs> so I sleep there the night under the stars. I wake up the next morning. I walk to the gate. And there's a button. I, I press the button. And someone opens the gate for me. I'm like, okay, cool. So I head out there. We go around. Um, I wish. I think the one I was talking, Makalniak, is actually Constantia. Okay. Okay, so anyway, now we go around, all the way around. Like, it's starting to become heavy. Day two, like, uh, eventually I got food. I, could, I couldn't do it without food. I was devastated because of that, but I had to get food. And by the end of day three, I'd made my way. So Signal Hill is where Cape Town 
like long street kind mm-hmm. of vibe. So now the evening of day three, I made my way all the way back to where those colorful huts are on the strand. Yeah, yeah. The, do you know what the place is called? Musenberg. Yeah. Right? So I've already kind of walked halfway to Musenberg. Yeah. Right? I'm broken. My knee, my knee's giving me shit. Mentally, I'm fatigued. I'm broken. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I have to just finish. Right? So as I get back, I see it's like a storm brewing. There's an information hut. No one is there. So I try the door. It opens up. Uh, like, blessed moment for me. I walk in. I set myself up for the evening. I'm going to sleep there. Next morning, I'll reassess. Yeah. But my phone's going to die. Oh, my phone's going to die. That's my GPS. And my knee is starting to swell pretty severely. So I sleep the evening. I wake up early before anyone comes. I walk outside. Now I'm like, I'm understanding the gravity of the situation. I can't finish it without my phone. The, all the peaks are covered in clouds. And my knees bust, like pretty shot. Like the bend it hurts. So I take out my Bible to draw some inspiration. And I'm so tired, I can't, like I can't even read. I can't fathom the strength to read. So I'm just sitting there with it like against my head, thinking to myself. And the, the thought is like, okay, you've, you've quit, yeah. right? So I've quit. I'm done. I'm done walking. But what does that mean? You know, because... There's no one I can call to come fetch me. Yeah. And you've yeah. already made it from Joburg to Cape Town. Oh, uh, yeah, you 100%. Know, that's in the bag. Look, I, at that stage, it wasn't like I can carry on, but I want to quit. It was more like my knee is bust, man. Mm. My phone is going to die. Like, I'm, let, let's not say I quit. Let's say I'm done. Yeah. you. Yeah. Right? And I sit there and the the thought of like, but you, what does that mean? You, you, you're not done because... There's nowhere to go. You, the only way is forward, right? But first, I had to go a few steps back. So I knew that area because when I finished my walk, instead of like a normal human being Ubering to like my friend's house or, or wherever I stayed, um, I walked across the mountains to kind of get a feel for it. So I knew there was a place at the bottom of that, it's like quite a heavy steep down, called Noorduk. And there's a nice little market. I can stop there. I can get a child. I can get a coffee. I can charge my phone, most importantly. So I make the trip there. I walk there, Bosnia and all, get my coffee, get my food, charge my phone. And I'm like phoning a few people for um, inspiration, mm-hmm. you know. But I learned early. Like one of, one of the biggest things I learned was when I left Kimberley. I'm going to come back now. I left Kimberley and I was in distress. So that was like the beginning of week four. And I was in distress because I knew how long I still had to go. I knew my body was taking knocks. So the knee was kind of like Mm. a constant thing. But most of all is the mental fatigue. And the biggest thing that caught me was, again, leaving the comfort of, of a city for the unknown. Yeah. And out of Kimberley, they've got... Like, you can't call those things heels. It's like, (laughs) it's catastrophic, to be honest with you. So those heels were also digging into me, and I stopped somewhere, and and I was broken. I was like, I was really broken, a little bit teary, and I tried to phone two people. I'm not going to, like... No, you don't need to. uh, You know, it's not their fault. You you don't always have to answer the phone. But it was an important lesson for me because I was so broken, and I was looking for outside inspiration. 
And when the school setting goes through, I put my phone off and I was like, I need to deal with this alone. Yeah. You know, like I accepted that fact. Like there, no one, like no one's coming for you. There, there's no alternative. Like this is it. You are doing it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I get, I gather my stuff there. I Uber back to the point where I left. Like I thought it was only fair, not wasting energy on the way back there. So I get there, and I look at the mountains. The clouds are clear up, and I tell myself, I'm finishing this thing today. Like, I don't care what I have to do. Like, I'm finishing it today. So I start, I basically run up the first mountain. When I get to the peak, my knee sorts it out. Done. No more pain. I went, I go down that, like, second last peak or whatever it was. I peak another one. I go down that one. Now it's starting to get late. The peaks are, like, quite a distance yeah. apart from each other at this point. And I'm making my way to, towards the last peak, the 13th peak. That's where I'm going to pray for myself now. And that's called Devil's Peak. Yeah. So it was like this battle, like unconscious battle. And I get to the, like, I'm already on the mountain, but like the, the bottom of Devil's Peak. It says 1,001 meters to the top. The sun is again, like on the horizon, like just disappeared. And... I'm just like, I'm motivated. I'm finishing this thing tonight. I can taste it. I can feel it. I can see it. So it's in front of you. It's in front of me. So I take my bag off again. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't learned this lesson, no. have you? <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> Sometimes you need that speed. So I put my bag down there, but I keep my phone. Yeah. I Like, really, I start, like, jogging up there. Now, you go up there, will speak. It's like a little flat bed, and then it almost splits into two. So as I get to that flat bed, the wind almost takes me over the top, like over the other side. I'm like, okay, just be aware of that. Quickly check the phone. I'm not doing this one. I'm going to this one. I run to the top, and I, as I'm running up, like I'm, like I can feel it. I'm there. Like I, like I had nothing less. Like I wasn't expecting anything less than hearing God's voice on that mountain. Yeah, you, you know? had like, your expectations. I wanted my answers. Like, and I was gonna get them. And I'm like starting to think like if I have any questions, like what am I going to pray? And I'm like running up there. And the closer I got, the, like from the moment I could see it, there's like, if I remember correctly, they have these poles, that kind of like cemented poles to show you like this yeah. is the peak. And when I got there, like just before I got there, the only thing I could say is, I love you, God, and let you all be done. Like this, like this whole trip was enough. Yeah. It was encouragement enough. Like I, I had learned enough to know, like I'm not going to get the answers the way I'm looking to get it. Like God isn't going to sit me down and say like, okay, here is the six month plan. Here's the two year yeah, plan. Yeah. Because it's at the end of the day, all my choice. I was in the position I was because of choices that I made yeah. previously. And thank God for my endurance and my, my will to to do more you know to get more out of life so my prayer was basically i love you thank you and let your will be done yeah and i started my slow descent down i saw there's a lot of people in the mountain so they obviously saw my headlight and like we started playing with each other a little bit I made my way down all the way back up to Signal Hill where you finish. And where I was honestly like just planning to camp the evening. Yeah. Like there is grass there, relatively safe. On the way up, the cops pull over. And give me, where are you going? I'm like I'm going to the peak. It's like you can't sleep there. I'm like okay, I wasn't planning to sleep there. 
but I was. <laughs> like, okay, we'll see you up there. They go. So I'm making my last few hundred meters to the top. I see them pulling a guy out of the car with his pants hanging on his ankles, tune him to get out of there, basically chase everyone from the top. Now I'm looking at this like, okay, cool. I've got, like, honestly, I had, I had less than 50 bucks in my pocket. Like, I don't, like, jump change, Yeah, the really. stash cash is done. Yeah, everything's done. Um, I have no plans. My phone's dead. Can't phone anyone. Where do I go? So I start walking down. On the way down, the cops, like, on the way down, I'm like, okay, but I'm done, done now. I can drive again. So I asked the cops, like, hey, can you just drop me there at the bottom? They load me in the back. First time I was in the back of a police van. Very <laughs> proud of that. They take me down to the bottom. I jump out. I'm like looking to the... Okay, so I'm like, I don't know where I'm going, right? So the cop's like, where are you going? I, you know, I don't know. And okay, to the left, Long Street, Cape Town, like to the right, Camps Bay. Like, okay, I've never been to Camps Bay. So I start making my way down to Camps Bay. Oh, he tuned... Okay, sorry, the police officer says... Left Cape Town, right Camps Bay. If you go to Camps Bay, there's a police station. Ask them if they can house you for the night. Ask them if you can sleep there for the night. And I've heard this like quite a few times Jeez. on the road. Like yeah. the police will house you if you go ask very nicely. But it was never the, the time, right? And honestly, I needed some safety, man. Like I've been sleeping on the streets for so long yeah, now. Like you're on guard. Even absolutely. Though, even though I was favored, even though nothing happened. That adrenaline like, is pumping. You're still awake. You, yeah, don't, you yeah. never ever really sleep. You hear everything. So I needed that safety, man. And I go... I go to the police, I knock on their door, and I'm like, hey, can you guys please house me for the evening? And they're just like, fuck off here, man. What are you, are you stupid? I'm like, okay, well, that was a dumb idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I go to a restaurant, I charge my phone there, and this is again, like, this is the, I, I don't know how to explain it, the, the goodness and kindness of human beings, right? So it's like a rap CDs kind of vibe. And I asked the, I can't remember if it was a waitress. The doors were closed, so I knocked her open. I said, can you please charge my phone? They started charging my phone. And eventually when she left, she brought my phone, she gave it to me. And she walked down the stairs and she looked at me and she came back up and she handed me like a $100 note, like maybe 200 I don't know. And I was like, I can't take this. Yeah. I'm fine. You know, and like, I know it doesn't look like it, but I'm good, like really. And she's like, no, take it. And I'm like, no, please, I don't want your money. And she's like, take it and it means I was like okay thank you because I didn't have anything yeah, yeah. right so then I, m I marched back to the police station I, I checked the door I turned around I checked okay there's some bushes over there <laughs> well, <laughs> I went insane, I slept man. in the bushes again I woke up that morning people jogging past me everyone like carry on with their life <laughs> put my backpack on and then slowly started the uh, you know, like the descent back into the real world. And you would One, that was that that was the the physical part of the journey done, right? That was the physical part of the journey done. On on day two, a fact that I conveniently left out. I got a message from a manager in Russia. Said we have a fight for you in eight weeks. Like we can get you out of the country. Do you want it? And I was like, look. I'm finishing this thing now. I don't know what's going to happen afterwards. I was, like, I, I don't know where I am. I don't know like anything about the future, but I'll get back to you. And uh, somehow I made my way to a few friends. I 
cleaned up there. We went, we went to a kid's party with them, or I went to a kid's party with them. And I don't know what happened there, but I just got this, like, motivation inside of me. If I can walk to Cape Town, I can do it. Yeah. And I phoned my manager. I said, listen, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know anything more than we're taking this fight. We're taking it. I'll see you in eight weeks. And so it happened. I came back to, I came back to Joburg, like still like really like wandering, yeah. sleeping on people's couches. Phone Dino. Dino happened to be back in Joburg as well. Dino Bagatin, yeah. Dino Bagatin. He came up from Durban. And I said, look, do you want to do this thing with me? I'm going to Russia in eight weeks. I don't know really much more than the fight's happening. I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I don't know what I'm going to eat, but let's do this. And we started that journey and we finished it eight weeks later in Russia with a first round victory. Hand raised. Hand raised. Now, I mean, we're going to have to wrap it up because we can talk for hours. <laughs> and I think this could be the record for the longest that we've done, Ray, if I'm not mistaken. But thank you for sharing the story. After that, Russia, after the walk to Cape Town, you were back in the UFC, welterweight titles up for grabs. How confident were you? Because you fought a guy, Zico, who had knocked out Martin von Staden, but and a strong dude comes out of a very determined camp. Um, but how confident were you? And when you got your hand raised after that, what was going through your mind? Did you feel like that circle was, was almost complete? I did. It's It's been like getting to fights have been a, quite a big obstacle in my life and uh, not, not anyone to blame, but my own choices and actions. But I will tell you one thing, having Mornay Fissa coach me, having Mornay Fissa guide me, having Mornay Fissa pay Zico 50,000 Rand to take the fight. He wasn't going to take the fight. My coach had to pay him 50,000 Rand to take the fight. Knowing that man was in my corner, I couldn't be more positive. I couldn't be more confident. Yeah, like the week leading up to the fight, he would, I'm going to just jump in there quickly. So leading up the week of the fight, he would come to me, grab me like this, he'd look at me. He says, Is restach, Moki? <laughs> say yes coach I have he says your heart's beating a bit fast I say yeah coach I just strained he says okay keep it like that rest up he says my heart's beating fast now <laughs> my so, how close I've got to you know, a champion <laughs> <laughs> so I, I give all the credit number yeah. one to God obviously like he's been guiding me through this journey so, something I always say is you, you pray for strength you better be careful what you're asking for. You yeah. pray for wisdom. Be careful what you're asking for because the lessons you're going to go through to learn those things are quite expensive. But having Coach Monefis in my side or by my side in my corner, it, it gives me confidence. Yeah. It, gi it gives me confidence to the point where I, like, I don't want to be a part of the UFC. I want to take the UFC over. I want to join my brothers and I want us to rule the UFC for as long as we want to compete physically. And we've only got more nervousness to thank for that. Well, you guys are doing a tremendous job. You've put South African and African MMA back on the map, if not firmly in the spotlight for the globe. So congratulations on that. I have no doubt, Mark Hume, you will be victorious on August 25th. I have no doubt you will be in the UFC. And I have no doubt that one day you will be welterweight champion of the UFC. So thank you for your time. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being a great human being. And keep up the amazing work.
Yes, thank you for your time, my brother. I honestly and earnestly appreciate it. You are a kind soul. This is a beautiful, beautiful platform that you, you have. And it's been nothing but an honor to be here. Well, the story's not over, my friend. <laughs>